1: This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal.
2: Messi takes up. Messi has got it!
1: From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. 2 and he's... What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe. From Zlatan Ibrahimović's brash confidence with the play to back it up to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair,
2: What is up? Welcome to The Uncontested Podcast. We are part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the official podcast of BoomTownHoops.com. I'm your host for the day, Jacob Niffin, and I am joined by the one, the only, Sir Nick of House Crane. Hello, mate. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you were trying to go with a uh, Game of Thrones... uh, voice there or the Steven Adams but I think you killed both of them Nick.
4: Appreciate it. I was going for Steven Adams but I can't quite get it down.
2: <laughs> Nobody can get the Steven voice down. So uh it's all right. It's all right. I forgive you. Um Nick, how are things down in the Big D? They're all good. I'm here
4: for the 4th of July, not really doing anything besides binge watching Netflix and reading a couple books that I've had queued up for a while. So if anybody has any uh, must watch TV shows. Feel free to shoot those my way.
2: Ooh, what what are you watching on uh, on Netflix right now?
4: Um, right now I'm watching a show called Blood and Oil. It's just a one season show, and I've got about an episode and a half left. So as soon as we jump off this podcast, I'll probably finish that tonight, and then I will be needing something badly.
2: Oh, okay. I've started uh, rewatching like the early seasons of Parks and Rec. So I've been having fun with that. Um, also, if you haven't already, Nick, you should watch Home Game on Netflix. It's about different sports in different parts of the world. Uh, it's really fascinating. It's more like documentary style, but it's really cool.
4: How are the How are the episodes laid out? Is it like one sport per episode, or how does yes, it work?
2: Yes, correct. Yeah, one sport per episode. I actually talked about this on Monday's episode, I think, but the best one is the first episode, which takes place in Florence, where they play a game that's looks very similar to rugby, except there are no rules. You can uh, f- like fist fight people. You can wrestle them. You can kick them in the back of the knees. Uh, the whole goal is just to get them on the ground so you can move the ball forward. It's pretty wild. It's like if you took UFC and mixed it with with rugby.
4: I am looking at this on Netflix now. I'm 100% going to be watching it. This looks sweet. There's it's like rollerblading and rest like there There's a lot of stuff.
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive except the one where they do like open water deep diving. Um, that one stressed me out because it showed people like diving like 100 meters under the ocean and then Ugh. like blacking out and like convulsing while underwater. Under and it made me very uncomfortable.
4: Are you more scared of heights or going deep underwater? see all of the above (laughs) but but no seriously would you rather be 50 feet underwater or looking over a 50 foot cliff
2: if i'm 50 feet underwater is it just like my body or am i like in a submarine type thing oh just your body oh shit dude that's a hard question because i hate heights like i don't do airplanes i don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast but my one of my biggest sources of anxiety is airplanes Um, My family went on a a vacation last summer, uh, summer of 2019. We went to Boston for a week. And I legitimately, like we we flew out of DFW. And so we drove down there the night before because we had to be at the airport at like 7 a.m. And the night before at about 2 a.m., I was literally about to get in my car and drive back to Oklahoma City and just leave a note that said, sorry, just can't do the plane ride. You guys have a good time. That's crazy. I was that close to like not going it. Uh, I threw up in DFW's bathroom uh, like four or five times 30 minutes before my flight. Like it's I don't do good with airplanes. Um, but being underwater uh, also kind of makes me claustrophobic and freaks me out. So
4: I'm kind of the opposite. Um, I, I kind of find flying relaxing just because when I fly most of the time it's for work. So when I'm on the plane, there's not Wi Fi most of the time, so I can't work, so it's almost like, you know, getting paid not to work, you know, while you're on the clock and, and just kinda kicking back and relaxing before you touch down and it's back to reality.
2: Yeah, my heart rate's at like hundred beats per minute when I'm on an airplane. It's uh it's pretty bad. So I don't know. I'd I'd probably say if it's only fifty feet, like I'm fifty feet like up on a cliff looking over, I'd be more comfortable with that. But if you said, Do I wanna be fifty feet underwater? Um, not in a submarine, or do I want to be in an airplane? I'm going underwater every time nice that's uh I don't know I, I, fair enough would prefer just to be on land on my own two feet that that's that's the number one preference though so. uh all right, Nick, well, we have some hoops to talk about because the thunder have i guess essentially started like preseason media availability even though it's not preseason. And you're not in the locker room, so it's really awkward. Um, but the past two days, you have gotten the opportunity to talk to Coach Billy Donovan, um, rising up-and-comer Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and then longtime Thunderman, uh, who you do a poor impression of, Stephen Adams. <laughs> uh, so we're going to dive into that. And then you and I are also going to play a game of Take It or Leave It, which I feel like you and I, whenever we're doing duo pods, do a lot. And they're a lot of fun, so I'm really excited. Uh, Let's start talking about media day, though. Before we do, Jacob, you're forgetting to
4: tell people what they're going to
2: be yeah, at the end of the podcast. My bad. So we're going to talk about media availability, but make sure that you stick around. At the end of this episode, we are attaching Billy Donovan's audio from media availability. It's about 19 minutes. But Nick was on that call with Billy and Shay and then on again today with Steven. And Billy had a lot of like really insightful and like fulfilling answers I guess you could say and so we thought it was good enough that we want to add it on this episode so you guys will be able to hear that media availability. The audio quality might not be pristine it was all recorded via Microsoft Teams I think Nick? That's correct. Is that right? Okay perfect so but we we are attaching that to the end of this podcast so you'll hear Nick and I talk For roughly like 40-45 minutes and then at the end of this episode you'll get about 20 minutes of Q&A with Billy Donovan so make sure that you stick around and listen to that. All right with that being said Nick let's talk about some of the stuff that has been said on these Microsoft Teams calls and I wanted to start with really the first question to Billy Donovan from Eric Horn of The Athletic talking about Andre Robertson. Uh, So Nick will you just kind of tell us what Billy said about Dre?
4: Yeah, and I think everybody knew that's the first question that was coming uh, whenever Billy was was available for the media. And essentially, what he says, I'm not gonna, you know, word for word read off his quote, but basically, it's hard for Billy to give anybody an assessment of where Dre is at in his kind of rehab process, just because no one's seen him play five on five yet. Um, what their hope is is that when they get to Orlando and and teams start practicing and training camp and all that goes underway, that's going to be the first time probably ever, uh, if he's even able to, that Donovan and the rest of the coaching staff are going to be able to see him play in a five-on-five kind of live setting. Um, That being said, Billy did have some some positive words and the fact that, you know, Per Andre Robertson, he does feel really, really good. He feels like he's made significant strides. All that good stuff. To me, I know people, a lot of people on Twitter and, and around the the whole you know Thunder fan base were getting excited hearing some of this stuff. But to me, it's not any news that we didn't already know. We've heard things from Dre, you know, in his in his interview a couple months ago with University of Colorado saying that he had made you know pretty good strides and was running every morning and felt good. And there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, we've heard all the way back to media day, almost a year ago, that he was full go. And the fact that we still have not seen him play five on five and Billy Donovan doesn't necessarily know where he's at to give a status update, really to me means that that's not any new news. It's, it's worth noting and it's fun to talk about, but I don't think Billy's comments really made us think any differently or or one direction or the other based on Dre's status. Do you agree?
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I wanted to ask you this, Nick, is so you, you mentioned, you know, we haven't seen Dre play five on five. We, we heard the whole I'm full go I'm ready. And then he never played. And then he left the team to go to California to rehab. Then he's saying, Oh, if you know, the coronavirus never happened, I was about to play G league games and, and get my feet under me and be ready for the playoffs. But we don't, know if that was really the case. Now we're hearing, you know, he's physically in a good place and he's ready to play and blah, blah, blah. My question though is, do you think this is the last chance for Dre? If he goes down to Orlando and he does start in this training camp and plays five on five and practices and and looks like he can play basketball, I assume he'll get a shot. But if he goes down there and he doesn't look good or he's uncomfortable or he's hesitant, is this moment down in Orlando the make or break? I guess really for the rest of Andre Robertson's career.
4: You know, it's it's fascinating. We've talked about this on some pods before. I don't think it would be a break. I think that some team, whether it's Oklahoma City or not, would give him like a vet minimum, um, bring him bring him in for you know one year, super cheap, just to see what he can do. I also wouldn't be shocked if Dre went and played some five-on-five and and got over that mental block and the team still didn't play him. I mean, that sounds strange because I I feel like everybody's ready for Dre to be back and the team could certainly use him. Um, I'm almost wondering if the Thunder kind of look at this the same way that a guy like uh, Jason Tatum and Donovan Mitchell look at kind of this injury Uh, Insurance they were looking at. What if Oklahoma City sees Dre play five on five? He seems ready to go, but they just don't want to risk him re-injuring himself for what more than likely isn't going to be anything more than 15, 20 games remaining if the Thunder do even get out of the first round. What if he doesn't play regardless? I mean, I I think that it's, it's definitely not going to be a break. It's more likely this would be a make in the fact that Dre can only help himself throughout the situation.
2: Yeah, I can see that. And I I do think if he's able to play, I think he will for a couple of reasons. Number one, the only guys he's got to beat out to get in the rotation are like Abdul Nader and Hamadou Diallo, which I think isn't going to be a huge hurdle to jump. And number two, like you mentioned, guys like Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell kind of worried about getting that injury because of a big payday coming up. I, I think the opposite for Dre. I think Dre needs to play in order to earn himself a payday. And so because of that, I think he'll, if he's able to play, I think he will. I, I think he would push for it. I think the franchise would push for it because if he's able to play and then you don't play him, then you're looking at not getting him on the court until December. Um, and, and I think the sooner you can get him back out there and playing, uh, considering how long of a layoff it's been probably the better, right? I, I, I think, like you mentioned, I think it's almost an opposite effect of uh, a Jason Tatum, uh, a Bam Adebayo, a uh, Donovan Mitchell type of situation. I think he needs to get out there to play with those guys. I think you summed it up perfectly, Nick. With those guys, there's a lot to lose. With Dre, there's really nothing to lose and everything to gain here. Yep, those are,
4: those are great points. It'll be fascinating to see what happens. It's been a topic of conversation for... What well, feels like eternity at this point, you know, when is Andre Robertson gonna come back and play and and let's hope that, you know, come what'll be July 9th, I think will be the first day of training camp for the Thunder. Let's hope that by, you know, the tenth, eleventh, twelfth in that time frame we've got some more updates. I, I think they said um throughout training camp and into the remainder of the regular season and playoffs they'll continue to have media availability even after practices and games and all that stuff via microsoft teams or i think the league actually uses zoom so maybe switching to zoom so we'll definitely get updates as they come it's not going to be like we're we're kind of in the dark during training camp we're going to get these updates so i think by mid-july we'll have a good idea of whether dre will play or not
2: you saying all that the only thing i'm hearing in my head right now it is podcast content podcast content podcast content
4: absolutely i mean mm-hmm. one one strange thing which they mentioned is that the the courts they're going to be playing at don't have showers so that the typical you know media routine is the game finishes, the players go and shower, they come back out to the locker room, and once they get dressed, it's, it's time to, to get interviewed. With no showers, it's going to be interesting to see how they figure that out logistically, and it sounds like there's not going to be much time to get interviews, but nonetheless, if we can get some sort of content after every practice and every game, we're going to be golden.
2: Oh, yeah. All right, let's move on. Billy Donovan also talked a lot about in his availability, which again, you can hear at the end of this episode, talking about not really knowing where his team is at because he hasn't really been able to watch them play much. Uh, can you expand on, on a little bit on what he said with that, Nick?
4: Yeah, and that was a little shocking to me to hear that. I mean, it's it, it makes sense and it's absolutely true, um, but I, I'd never really thought about it like this so essentially since the season has ended back in march none of these guys have been together all at one time you know all all three of the the people that were interviewed over the past two days have mentioned you know they've done zoom calls they've got group chats they're they're still in constant contact they're still great friends the chemistry is still there but none of them have been together at all. And Billy made a a comment in the the media availability that he hasn't seen his team play or been around his full team in months, and he won't have the chance to do that until they catch that plane to Orlando. So on July 8th, when the team meets up to get on that plane and and travel across the country, that'll be the first time in close to four months that Billy Donovan has had all of his guys in one place. So what Billy was basically saying when he was getting questions about, you know, where's the team at? What condition are they in? Um, Is the chemistry going to be there? How are they playing together? Like he, he can't answer those questions and he just kept harping on, You know, I I don't know where the team's at. It's hard for me to say where we're at. I don't know what we look like. I I haven't seen these guys together. And by the time I do, it'll be four months without them playing together, which is something that I think we all knew. But it's interesting to think about it from the coach's point of view, because that's tough.
2: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, you can have Zoom calls and and BS with your buddies and and have close relationships. But that's not going to instantly translate to cohesion on the court. We know these guys can play together. But there's just a certain thing when, I mean, even you and I, Nick, just playing like pickup basketball, you're aware of this. The more you play with somebody, the more frequently you're out there running, you start to learn, guys, tendencies, and you just start to develop, for lack of a better term, that chemistry. Yep. And when you haven't played for a long time and then you get back out there, it takes a while to find that again. Even if it's your best friends, even if all five of us co-hosts, four of us co-hosts, however many of us co-hosts on The Uncontested, shit, I don't even know how many people we have on this podcast anymore. If all of us, we're all good friends, if we go out and run some pickup, it's gonna take us a while to to really start to understand each other on a basketball court. And even though these guys are professionals, like you said, it's a long break. It's longer than a normal off-season. And so it's gonna take them a while to kind of get that groove back. And so that's kind of led me to thinking, What teams do you think are going to find that on-court chemistry quicker, and what teams is it going to take a while to regain it? I think as far as finding it quickly, the one team that really jumps off the page to me is the Denver Nuggets. They have essentially the same team that they had last year. They had, you know, in this past summer of 2019, this mammoth free agency summer, we saw so much change all over the place. But the Nuggets, for the most part, st- stood pat and just rode with what they had. And I think that's going to be a big benefit for them going down to the bubble, that it's not like they were starting to find that chemistry and then they broke up and and that league went on hiatus. They've been playing together for two years now, with the three years, with the majority of that that group together. I think they're going to have a pretty easy time compared to some other teams. Yeah, and it's funny
4: you say that because Stephen Adams actually had a, a quote that was along those lines basically saying, the regular season's only eight games. The teams that can get to Orlando and figure it out the quickest are going to be the best off. And that sounds obvious, but it's so true. Like The teams that can get there and click immediately are going to be the teams that, that make those jumps in the standings and then are going to do great in the playoffs because they're they're hitting stride. But for me... The two teams that jump off the page are, are both in the Eastern Conference and they're actually one and two right now. It's the Milwaukee Bucks who are, are kind of like the Nuggets where the the majority of their core in you know, Bledsoe and Giannis and Middleton and some of those guys are the same folks they had last year when they were running through the playoffs. And I, I think they're going to have an advantage just because they've played together for the most part for, for a couple years now. And the other team is the Raptors, and I know they don't have Kawhi, and they leaned on him a lot in the playoffs last year, but seeing the adversity they went through losing Kawhi this summer and still coming in and playing excellent and grabbing that number two seed to this point in the Eastern Conference, to me that says a lot about the chemistry of the roster, the types of players they have, and I think that's a team that's going to be jumping on pretty quickly and, and clicking on all cylinders a couple games in.
2: I also think for the Raptors, a lot of it is coaching as well. I Absolutely. think Nick Nurse, Nick Nurse plays a big role in that. Okay, so flip side of the coin then, Nick. Which teams do you think are going to take the longest? Whenever I think of this, I think of a roller coaster. Which teams are going to be hitting the, the very top of the peak of the roller coaster and then be on that downhill slide where you, the, you pick up the speed to go through the loop? which teams are going to hit that right before the playoffs and which teams are still going to be climbing. And when I think of that climb, trying to get that chemistry, trying to get everyone on the same page, one team to me feels like they have a very big variance and that would be the Los Angeles Clippers. A team where Paul George hasn't played a lot on that team because of injury, Uh, Kawhi Leonard because of resting Uh, a whole lot of just new pieces on that team, obviously over the summer That's a team that I feel like did not... Great team, tons of talent, but maybe not a whole lot of chemistry there. Not a whole lot of time together to build that up. And I wonder when they come back here in the late parts of July and they start to kick it back off and they're playing Paul George and Kawhi Leonard together for those long stretches of time, are they going to be able to click as quickly as others? That's a good point. Um Two thoughts on that. A,
4: I think they're too talented to not play well. Like, do I think. No, do I, I agree.
2: It, it's one of those things where the talent is there, it's just kind of figuring out how to fit it together.
4: Right. They, they may not click, but they'll still win six of their eight games, you know, just because of their talent level. That's a team, though, that even if they were to struggle in the regular season, I think they'd figure it out by the playoffs. Like, worst case, if they. I mean, they're they're pretty solidified at the two, I think. I, I They could definitely slip to three, probably can't get up to one. So I see them being the two seed regardless. So even if the, the eight regular season games were just to get them warmed up and they didn't play well and, and they went on to the playoffs finally clicking, I think that's a win for them. For me, the team that might struggle to click um, early on is the Miami Heat. A, because they just added Andre Iguodala and they're trying to figure out how to fit him on this team with his veteran presence. And B, they're outside of Jimmy Butler, a good majority of their production comes from rookies or guys that are brand new to the team. And if I'm a Heat fan, that scares the crap out of me. I don't have the stat in front of me. I, I was just looking it up last night. But the Heat were like, 22 and eight or something along those lines to start the season and since christmas have gone like 18 and 16 they're they're trending down already and i think that's a good reason why
2: i also like how in this little exercise i went exclusively with western conference teams and you went exclusively with eastern conference teams that That wasn't planned
4: well, yeah, well, at least we have coverage on both sides.
2: Yeah, there you go. Wasn't planned, but just worked out that way. Awesome. All right, well, let's move on to Shay's availability. You, uh, Billy and Shay were on uh, on the same call, so you got to hit both of them. And Shay, quote, said, I'm a hooper. I just want to hoop. Um, said that he's been playing basketball really ever since the hiatus started. Started out playing outside, and then once gyms opened up, he was back inside playing um can you touch a little bit on his his quotes from that, Nick?
4: Yeah, and his availability wasn't super long. Um his answers or maybe even the questions he was asked weren't super intuitive, so I don't think we got a ton of, you know, real real questions or answers out of him that, that are gonna be like shaking Thunder Nation by any means. That quote saying he's a hooper, he just wants to, he just loves to hoop, was was awesome because that was actually his answer when someone asked if he ever considered not going to the bubble and playing. So that that says a lot about him as a as a player and just being hungry to go out there and play basketball and win. Um, he also talked a little bit about Lou Dort um, when, when he was asked, you know, is he deserving of the contract? What does he bring to the team? You know, what's his ceiling? What's his future with this team? What kind of player can he be? He he mentioned that Lou's a guy that does the things not everyone wants to do, like diving on the ball, guarding the other team's best player, etc. Kind, of, kind of like a garbage man. And that's a guy that every team needs. And I think for the contract that Lou got, that makes sense that for the things he does, he's he's certainly on a team-friendly deal for the Thunder Um the last quote which which i would i'd like to spend a little bit of time talking about this we've talked a lot on the podcast in the past 6 months or so, 8 months on, you know, when was the turning point for the thunder? Obviously they started out pretty slow and they turned into one of the hottest teams down the stretch before the season ended in March, but SGA was asked that question, you know, when when did you guys turn this around? What was the the turning point where it all clicked for you guys? And he said that the Minnesota game where Dennis Schroeder caught that full court pass was the game that he thought was their turning point and where they realized what they're capable of, what they can do and gave them that confidence and swagger to continue. And that was fascinating to me because it was a, a, I think it was an early January game. And I think in our heads, we thought this team was clicking a little bit earlier than that, more like Thanksgiving or early December. But in his head as a player, it's it's interesting to hear that he thought it was a, a January game against Minnesota. Yeah,
2: that Minnesota game was actually December 6th. Okay, it was December then okay okay and to, to give some context to that, up to that point the Thunder were eight and 12 on the season. They are now sitting at 40 and 24 which means after that Minnesota game they went 32 and 12.. That sounds like a turning point to me then
4: I thought it was later in the season but that that definitely makes a lot more sense.
2: Yeah, so it was, I, I I think Shays on to something there in the sense that they won that game 8-12 and up to that point. And then after that, just the, the script completely flips. They win that Timberwolves game, then against the Blazers and the Jazz. The Blazers and the Jazz, that was that road trip where Lou got the, his first call-up and had to guard Dame and Donovan Mitchell and put them both in the torture chamber. Do you remember that?
4: Oh, I do. He, he That was the games where we started to think, man, maybe this guy is a diamond in the rough that went undrafted.
2: So they won three in a row, then lost two, then won four in a row, lost one, won five in a row, lost one, won two in a row, lost one. So they definitely went on a run after that Minnesota game, uh, which, yeah, I mean, Shea hit the nail right on the head there. That really was the turning point of the season. I feel like up to that point, Nick, even on this podcast, we were discussing – competitive tanking playing good games but losing them and and moving forward I I think I remember whoever whichever host did the post-game podcast for that game was talking about how it was fun to see them win that game but that would have been a good loss they were competitive and it would have been a good loss to rack up in the loss column and add more lottery balls to the Thunder's chance at the number one overall pick this year after that the conversation shifted they go on this run, and they are a completely different team after that
4: game. It's crazy, and I, I almost forget that was that was the thought process, but I, I've got a lot of buddies that live up in Oklahoma, and after every game the Thunder won, it was like, great, they won a game, but, you know... It's it's one less lottery ball, kind of like you said. So it was like it was almost a win-win for Thunder fans. If you win, great, your team wins. If you lose, even better, you you have a better chance in the lottery. Whereas you know, shortly after that Minnesota game, like you said, everybody's thought process flipped. It was all about winning. And at this point, can you imagine having that thought process at the point we're at in this season? That's it's it's insane.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. They a massive turnaround for this team. Really one of the the best success stories in the league for this season. Uh, so really really impressive stuff. All right, let's move on to the last media availability which was today with Steven Adams. I haven't sat down and fully watched it yet, so Nick, I'm going to ask you because from what I hear Steve was his typical jokester self cracking out jokes left and right on this media availability. So tell us some of the funny stuff that Steve said.
4: That's tough. If I, if I had to say everything that Steve said that was funny I'd pretty much have to read you the transcript of, <laughs> of the, uh, the availability. Cause everything he says seems to be funny. Um, off the top of my head here, it's been a few hours since it happened. He, he made the joke that, that made Bleach Report that, that said he's been boxing out cows. There was a question about how he's you know staying in shape and, and working on some of those more technical type um, training movements like screening and boxing out. And he said he's been using the cows to do both of those on his farm back in New Zealand. Um, he was asked what he misses most about quarantine. And, you know, he said basically he misses his friends and family the most or he he didn't miss anything cause he's with his friends and family who he needed the most. Um, but he's not the type of guy that would, you know, miss something like ice cream.
2: Um, didn't he have a quote, something about, uh, he doesn't want to shake hands with people cause he doesn't want to be a dick.
4: Yeah. He said going in for a handshake is sketchy these days and he doesn't want to be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean there, were there was so many funny, funny, funny quotes from Steven and, and we can tweet out the 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 full video that's that's on nba.com of him. He was super funny. He he did have some insightful answers on, you know, what's going on in New Zealand and their take on the whole coronavirus pandemic and how they've tackled it and kept their case numbers low and he spent a lot of time talking about that. He spent quite a bit of time talking about how he spent you know, the majority of the quarantine over in New Zealand with friends and family, because that's what's most important to him during a pandemic like this. Um, That being said, he did work out on the farm and he actually had uh, a couple times where he was able to go scrimmage with some of his buddies in New Zealand, but he is back in Oklahoma city now, just like the rest of the, the entire roster that's there. He's just a, he's a funny guy. He's always got some of the best answers. He, he really does think about every answer that he gives. He'll even, Ask people like we repeat that question. I want to make sure I answer the the question you actually want to to hear an answer to. So he's a great. Sounds guy, like he's but... a lot
2: different than Russell
4: Westbrook. Oh my gosh, he's the <laughs> complete opposite. But no, he he's a uh, he's the national treasury must protect him at all costs. You've seen those tweets on on Twitter. But yeah, super funny. I, I'd be I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts, Jacob, on um his time in New Zealand because I I think you had speculated that's where he was this entire time and it wasn't I don't think officially announced until today.
2: Yeah so and I was really surprised actually when you told me that uh, after you had got off the call with him that he had gone back to New Zealand because I mean we knew that like Shea stayed in Oklahoma City we knew that Baisley stayed in Oklahoma City. We knew that Chris Paul went back to LA you know we, we knew about a lot of these guys but Steven is not very active on social media at all. And so we didn't know about him. And I I was kind of speculating, like, did he stay here or did he go home? Uh, You know, there was that, uh, those woes tweets from a few weeks ago that teams were starting to recall their players that had gone uh, overseas. Guys like Nikola Jokic and Luka Doncic. Um, I, I don't know who all went overseas, but we didn't know anything about Steven. And to find out that he went home, Uh, isn't surprising. Like you mentioned, friends and family, you know, he always goes back home over the off season anyways. And honestly, I mean, let's just call it how it is. New Zealand has been probably the best country in the world in their coronavirus response. And the United States has definitely not been the best country in the world in their coronavirus response. And so he was way safer over in New Zealand as far as contracting COVID-19 then he would have been staying in Oklahoma and New Zealand's the home of middle earth anyways. Why wouldn't you want to go there? If I was him, I would have dressed up as Gandalf the gray and just gone <laughs> hiking through the countryside of New Zealand, you know? So, but it's, it, it, it was mildly surprising just because we didn't know, but it's good to know that, that he went home. He got to spend that time with friends and family. Uh, if you, Nick, have you read his book? I have not. I, I ha- actually have it sitting right next to me. It's one of
4: the two books that I mentioned earlier on the pod that I've got queued oh, up Oh, dude, read. you got to
2: read it. It's really, really good. My favorite part of it is when he talks about, basically, it's like a one chapter is his journal of his pre-draft workout stuff, uh, and he talks about how Oklahoma City wanted to get him in for a second pre-draft workout, but they didn't want anybody else knowing that they were bringing him in, so they flew him from wherever he was to Phoenix, and then from Phoenix on a private plane to Oklahoma City wow. to try to throw people off. But in the book, he's hilarious. And he talks a lot about how he was never good in school and he loved doing physical labor. And one of his favorite things to do was to go to one of his older brother's uh, ranches and just work out on the farm. That's, you know,
4: that's what he did during quarantine, too.
2: Fixing up uh, fences and and... You know, feeding the animals and baling hay, and he's just—he's really into that stuff. And so, uh, it's cool to hear that he got that chance to go home and and do that over the quarantine because that's something that, you know, from his own mouth, is something that he's very passionate about. He's not going to be one of these ex NBA players in ten years that goes into coaching or tries to get on NBA on TNT or whatever. He's going to go home and live on the farm in New Zealand. Yep, yep, and uh, accurate. I honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a big farm guy, <laughs> but shit, if I could go home and just live in the countryside of New Zealand, that's what I would do too. Sounds pretty awesome.
4: Yeah. You know. I, I've got that book and then Boomtown queued up as my too. Oh two. man.
2: I didn't know you hadn't read either of those. You're in for a treat. I they're know. both, they're I both know. incredible. They're so good. Um, my mom actually mentioned in Boomtown. Wait, your mom
4: is mentioned in Boomtown?
2: Yeah. Whenever he talks about the May 20th tornado and more. Uh, my mom actually taught at the elementary school that got wiped out. Um, and so there's like quotes uh, from people from her school. And he actually mentions her classroom Wow! Uh, and, and what happened in her classroom. I read that and I lost my mind and I called her and I was like, you're in this book. I mean, he doesn't you didn't mention know her before by, you read it. No, he not He doesn't mention her by name or anything. Okay. Okay. Uh, but he describes the scene from her classroom, which was uh, my mom and her teacher's assistant. This is a real random aside, but I'm going to say it anyways. My mom and her teacher assistant were underneath a, uh, like a desk, like a, a, a big, like adult sized desk. And then all of the first grade kids were underneath their desks and the tornado came through and just ripped her school apart. Uh, and the kids were able to crawl out, uh, from underneath their desks and get out to the open. But my mom and the teacher assistant had to wait until the fire department got there to like dig them out. And the teacher assistant looked at my mom and said, "Hey, I think there's something wrong with my leg, but I don't want to freak out in front of these kids." And my mom looked down, and the the foot of the leg um, w- is like a normal school le- school desk leg, where mm-hmm. it's got like that little, you know, that round metal foot on the bottom. Yep. The tornado had picked that up and then slammed it back down, and that foot went through this woman's calf went through oh, one side and out the other Stop! and so she actually had to lay there and with her hand unscrew the table leg from the table and leave that table leg through her calf as they carried her to the back of a pickup truck and drove her to the hospital oh my god yeah she had emergency surgery that night and she still has
4: the table leg I'm glad I ate dinner before the podcast and not after. Yeah, it was
2: it was pretty gnarly, man. Um, so, with that being said, Nick, uh, let's tell our listeners about BetOnline.ag. There's no
4: shortage of action going on in our exclusive partners, BetOnline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is the leading way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline also has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out as well. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet Online, your online wagering experts. All
2: right, so Nick and I are gonna wrap this episode up before we patch you over to Billy Donovan's Media Availability with a game of take it or leave it. Nick, I love playing this with you because we both come up with some pretty fun questions that are almost impossible to answer, and we almost differ on our answers every time. Uh, so we'll start with you. I'm going to throw you a league wide, take it or leave it. You ready? Let's do it. All right. Uh, I'm torn on this one. So I'm interested to see what, what you say, take it or leave it. The Philadelphia 76ers are going to lose in the first round of the playoffs. Oh, this is funny. Cause I was
4: about two hours ago when I was looking at the standings and potential playoff matchups. I was thinking, holy cow, if the 76ers lose in the first round, would they ever consider giving up on Ben Simmons and bringing in Chris Paul? Um, That being said, I'm going to leave it because I don't actually see them losing in the first round. That would be kind of a worst-case fire drill coming up this offseason sort of um, event. But I, I don't think they'll lose in the first round.
2: All right, I'm kind of leaning towards no as well, and I have some bias because I picked Philly to win the freaking title this year. Um, it's interesting, though. like Philly's home versus road record is so polarizing, and so going down in the bubble is going to be so weird for them. It's essentially like a road game. I think it's more of a road game than a home game down in Orlando. Would you agree?
4: Yeah, it's definitely not a home game, so if you had to pick one or the other, it would definitely be a road
2: yeah, and so they've struggled there, um, but according to reports, they're all in great shape and ready to go. It's going to be fascinating. I don't like the matchup with Boston. I know they've played really well against Boston, and Boston has a hard time guarding Philly's bigs, but Boston's just really good, and I mean, Jason Tatum has you know made that leap. So I think if Philly doesn't want to get upset in the first round, they need to jump up to the 4-5 matchup rather than the 3-6 matchup. But if you jump to the 4-5 matchup, that gives you a second-round date with the Milwaukee Bucks. So maybe playing Boston in the first round is better because that gives them an easier road to the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't know. But I think Philly's a fascinating team to watch down in the bubble. They also have the easiest schedule aside of New Orleans uh, in their eight-seeding games. So, hey, if they win a whole lot of those eight-seeding games and the Thunder lose a handful... OKC okay, may keep their pick.
4: Yeah, it's another another thing about that too. That'd be that'd be another? interesting.
2: And maybe they could
4: uh sweeten the pot on a Chris Paul for Ben Simmons deal with that pick, they would have lost. There you go.
2: Hey. I'm into it, man. I'm into it. All right, your turn.
4: Alright, I'll stick lead wide as well. So my first league wide, take it or leave it, is if neither LA team comes out of the West, it will be the Denver Nuggets.
2: Oh, this is a fun one. God. I like Denver a lot. I think Denver has good players in the positions you need to be successful. Um, Skinny Jokic is going to be an interesting case study down in Orlando, and I'm so excited to watch that. They're chock full of quality wings, not high quality, like all star level wings but they have a handful of really good wings. They're a good defensive team, which they used to not be at all. All that being said, get ready for this, Nick. I'm going to leave it the for team, who the Houston Rockets.
4: I think so. Okay. So at least we're on the same page. I was going to okay. say, I think Houston would be the team that would go if it's not. A yeah. Team. I just think
2: the star power of Houston um, makes the difference there. Now, Houston against the Lakers in a 7 game series, I think Houston just gets bludgeoned to death. Um they're just, they're going to give up 30 offensive rebounds a game. But I I find as far as star power, knockout power um can just swing for the fences and beat anyone on any given night, I like Houston just a hair more than I like Denver. Uh, I'm with you. Like If I'm if I'm picking Oklahoma City's first-round matchup, I feel way more comfortable with them playing Denver than I do with them playing Houston.
4: Yep, agreed.
2: So, all right, let's jump to an Oklahoma City-themed one. Uh, my first one for you, Nick. Take it or leave it. Darius Baisley will average seven points per game in the bubble. For reference, on the season, he's averaging 4.5 points a game. I'm going to leave
4: that. I'm going to leave it real hard, I think. Ooh,
2: do you think it's going to be under his current... Season average?
4: Uh, I think it's going to be about spot on, anywhere from four to six. I mean, we've seen it time and time again on Billy Donovan teams. Rookies just don't play a ton. I mean, guys that don't play defense don't play a ton. We saw a guy like Ennis Cantor, who averaged like 17, 18, 19 points in the regular season, was exceptional on offense, but they didn't play him in the playoffs. And same goes for rookies. I just, I just don't see him playing any more minutes than he currently does in the regular season. So I don't see his points going up, and I don't see him having any more of an offensive load.
2: Le- okay, let me piggyback. All right, I, I know we're only supposed to do a certain number each, but screw it, I'm breaking the rules. Currently, Darius Baisley averages about 17 and a half minutes a game, while Lou Dort is averaging 22 minutes a game. Take it or leave it. Lou averages more. Sorry, did I say points? I meant minutes. I think I said points. I got gotcha, you. I, I got gotcha. you. I, I meant minutes. Take it or leave it. Lou Dort averages more minutes per game in Orlando than Darius Basley.
4: Lou Dort averages more minutes than Darius Basley. Yeah. 100% taking that.
2: Oh, wow. See, I'm going to leave that one. I think the Thunder are going to need that wing power a little bit more. And are going to lean towards Darius Baisley?
4: See, I think long term, if, if Baisley is going to be a good player in this league, he'll have to play true wing, a, a small forward. I just don't know if he has it in him yet. Fascinating. All right, your turn. All right, we'll go Thunder here as well. And, and actually, this is kind of on par for your last question. Um, take it or leave it. Lou Dort will start every game for the Thunder the remainder of the
2: season. Does this include playoffs? Yep. Frick. Oh, man, that's a really good one, Nick. I hate you. Um, So he's going to start all eight of the seeding games and then every playoff game. You know what? I'm going to leave it. I love Lou Dort to death. You know how much I love the Lutang Clan. I'm going to leave it. And say that there's going to be a playoff game where they have to make an adjustment and they need to go bigger instead of smaller because their current starting lineup has six foot two, Lugens Dort, as the starting or six foot three, Lugens Dort as the starting two. And then even though Shea is long, uh, he's Shea is six 185. Now, maybe he added some muscle weight over uh, quarantine, but starting that at your three against, let's say they play. You know, I don't know, uh, the Clippers. Starting that against Paul George or Kawhi Leonard is like that's rough. And so I think there's gonna be some point in time where maybe it's Andre Robertson. Maybe it is Darius Baisley. But I think there's gonna be a game somewhere, probably in the playoffs, where they have to shift that starting lineup and the odd man out is gonna be Lou.
4: I agree. I, I would almost uh, no, I agree that at some point they may have to do some sort of lineup shift to, to shake things up, but I almost think it would be going extra small ball and starting Schroeder.
2: Oh, wow. Are you saying starting Lou and Schroeder?
4: No, 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 starting okay. Starting Schroeder, Chris, and, and Shea.
2: Okay, I was about to say, Nick, Shea can maybe play some three. I don't think you want him at the four, though. No, 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 no. Might no, not no. be a good plan. All right, back to league-wide, my next one for you. A, take it or leave it, a non-Memphis team makes the playoffs in the West. Well, I cannot ask you my
4: other league-wide question because that was mine, too.
2: Oh, really? Okay, then we'll both just discuss this one. Okay. So, basically, this question is, are you taking Memphis or... Or somebody in nine through twelve, Memphis or the field. Um, I'm so I actually
4: when I asked this question, I did some research. Or when I typed it out, I did some research. Um, five thirty eight, who's kind of a predictive analysis site for NBA, actually has the Pelicans with a higher percentage chance to make the playoffs than the Grizzlies by four or five percentage points. the The Pelicans do have the easiest schedule. That being said, Memphis, if I'm not mistaken, is three and a half games up. That means if they win five of their eight games, they're 100% locked in. If they win four of their eight games and New Orleans doesn't essentially go close to undefeated, they're locked in. So if I'm Memphis and and I go 500 and I'm in, I'm going to take them as the last team in the playoffs with that eight seed and holding on to it.
2: I like that. And I think I tend to agree with you there. Um, Maybe, maybe this is a bit of a hot take. I don't know, but Memphis has a lot of youth where new Orleans has a mixture of youth and veterans. I don't know how much of a jump veterans are going to make. How how big of a jump is drew holiday, JJ Reddick, Derek favors going to make uh, over this quarantine period, now I think Zion could be a lot better. Um, I think a guy like maybe Lonzo got a little bit better, but when you look at Memphis, they had more room for growth over this past four months. You've got Jaw, uh, you've got they're bringing in Justice Winslow, uh, you've got Brandon Clark, um, you've got De'Anthony Melton, you've got a lot of these players that could possibly make a leap over this four-month break and come back better than they were, thus raising their ceiling. I think Memphis maybe had a little bit more growth to raise their ceiling over the past four months than New Orleans has. And so I I look at that a little bit as giving Memphis an edge. With that being said, I think it's going to be either Memphis or New Orleans. But I think I'm going to tend to agree with you. Even though I sign up on the conspiracy theory that the league wants Zion in... <laughs> i think memphis is gonna make it
4: yeah the pelicans are the only team with a combined opponent strength of schedule under 500
2: yeah <laughs> that's wild considering we left all the crappy teams at home I know, I know you know so nick tell me what would zion have to average in the eight seating games in orlando for you to just be like my god this is unreal because so right now, uh, I think unrelated
4: could, to them making the playoffs, just
2: yeah, yeah, just I mean, if he went down there and averaged twenty-six, eight, and three, I would say, wow, but it wouldn't like blow my socks off, right? I think twenty-six, eight, and three is something that he could maybe do in those eight games. You What's think a
4: twenty-six, eight, and three is something Zion could do? That that'd be above blowing my mind.
2: Really? What What is his averages right now? So in the
4: 2019-20 season, he's only averaging. Oh, I guess it's twenty four seven and two. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow! I'm, dude, he's freaking good. I don't think I. I, I thought he was more in the the twenty twenty one. Wow. Um. And in that case, <laughs> for me, so so here's my thing. Zion can score the ball. Zion can rebound the ball. So I guess 26 or 28 or even 30 points through eight games. Such a small sample size. I don't even think 30 points and 10 rebounds would blow my mind. What would blow my mind if, if Zion increased that 2.2 assists per game to something like five and a half or six and really yeah, started being a Yeah, that'd be a massive player. jump. Yep.
2: I agree. I agree. The other ones are small, like small percentage jumps. That would be like increasing his assist average by like 120 percent. Yep. So that's pretty wild. Um, All right, so we have one more Thunder-based take it or leave it, yes? Yep. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, so I'll give you mine. Uh, Nick, take it or leave it. Shea Gilgis-Alexander will be the leading scorer on the team in Orlando. Oh,
4: (laughs) we are so similar because my question was the same but a different player. Um, I am going to say no. No. I'm going to I'm going to leave it.
2: Um all right. I think So so if your question was the same question, who is your player? Dennis Schroeder. Oh wow. I, I know I'll she, leave that one too.
4: Shay Shay leads the team in scoring during the regular season. That being said, I think when it comes to playoff time, I think Chris will take more shots, I think Gala will take more shots. I think Schroeder will play a lot more minutes cuz that bench will shrink and he will be the bench if he's not already the bench to this point in the season. So I thought Schroeder might see a little uptick in shots, but I just I just don't see a guy like Shea carrying the load and the team be successful. I think it's going to be more of the vets that have to pick up some of that that offensive load.
2: Interesting. Okay, I for argument's sake, then I'll take Shea. And here is why. You mentioned the bench shortening in the playoffs. Shea is already the leading minute getter on this team. I think that only increases whenever we get to the playoffs. And I've mentioned it a few times earlier on this podcast, four months off, basically a full off season. Shea said he's been working on his game and on his body in those four months, albeit, you know, not in the Thunder training facility with professionals, but he's been playing. We typically see jumps from players in year one to two and in year two to three. Nick, the world sucks right now. I don't know if you know this, but the world sucks right now. There's a lot of bad shit going on. I need some hope. And that hope is that Shea is going to come down to Orlando and just set the whole goddamn thing on fire. I mean,
4: history does repeat itself. And Shea was a lot better in the playoffs last year, although it was only five games against the Warriors. So he played a lot better in the playoffs than a regular season statistically. Um. I don't know if he'd come in and set the world on fire, but if Shea averaged twenty-one and
2: six and six,
4: I wouldn't be shocked.
2: I the assists are gonna be hard because there's so many ball handlers on this team. I almost see Shea going down to Orlando and being more of a scorer than a facilitator. I'd like to see him facilitate more, averaging nineteen point three points on the season so far. I think he can go down and average 22, 23. He's averaging six rebounds. I bet he can keep that the same, maybe bump that assist number up to from 3.3 to like four. But I think he can come down and average three or four points more a game, Uh, especially if he can get to the line a little bit more. He's averaging five free throw attempts a game. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would tell you right now that if we looked at uh, before the new year and after the new year, that, free throw attempts a game probably took a sizable jump. Yep, it has. Yeah, so if he can get to the line a little bit more, be a little bit... And he gets to the line because of that craftiness. I think he can do it, man. So I'm, I'm going with Shea as my leading scorer for the Thunderdown in Orlando. Keep
4: an eye out for his three-point shooting. I'm not sold on his percentages this year. Um, I think they're a bit inflated on what we might see
2: in the playoffs. Oh, okay, that's interesting. He's actually shooting... Uh, one and a half percentage points worse than last year, albeit on double the attempts from last year.
4: Yep, I I just I something about his shot. I don't know if it's the mechanics or or the way it looks. I just still the low
2: the low release is a little weird.
4: I haven't bought I haven't bought in. I, I've one hundred percent bought in on him as a player and a future all star and and a, a game changer for the Thunder going forward. But I have not bought in on his three point consistency.
2: Interesting. All right. Well, we've got a, uh, a great opportunity to see what he does with that here in about a month. So, all right. Well, Nick, I think we will call it there and patch our listeners over to Billy Donovan's media availability from Thursday, no Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, somewhere around there. Um, so you guys enjoy, and we will talk to you again on our regular Monday show. Have a good one.
3: Eric, you want to go ahead with your question for Coach?
2: Sure. Hey, Billy, how you doing?
3: Good. How you doing, Eric?
5: I'm doing great, man. Um, uh, it's kind of got some layers to this question, but um, you know, in the past week since um the voluntary workouts have started, uh, have you been able to work with Andre? And if so, what have you seen? If not, is he gonna be with the team this week? Week for mandatory workouts before you leave for Orlando.
3: Yeah, so right now for for the way the things are set up with the workouts, it's obviously one ball, one basket, one coach, and up until today, it has not been mandatory. So we've had all of our guys back. All of our guys have come in to to work out. You know, periodically on their own time. Um, Andre has been here going through all that stuff. Um, it's hard for me to give a real assessment of where he's at just because I haven't seen him play any five on five or anything like that. But the hope is to get to Orlando and once we start practicing to have him out there and actually find out where he's at and how he's doing in my conversations with Andre, he feels really good. He feels like he's made really significant progress. So I'm really happy for him that he's in a good place and and wants to see how he feels once we start playing five on five. Thank you.
5: All right. Thanks, coach. Uh, let's go with Jenny Carlson next.
2: Uh, sorry, I'm here. <laughs> Had to get everything turned on. Sorry, coach. That's okay. Hey, I, I know that uh, obviously a lot is, uh, you know, you, you can't know until you're there, but what what's your feeling about the setup in Orlando? What have you been hearing
5: from guys in terms of, you know, just uh, being in that bubble
2: and and just what that is is going to be like. You know, obviously there's the basketball component, but there's, you know, 21 other days, hours out of the day. What's sort of the feeling you have and that they're relaying to you about that?
3: Well, I think everybody is, you know, going into uncharted territories in a lot of way. You know, this is not certainly that's something that's been normal for anybody. Um, it's coming into a new normal so to speak and I think you try to prepare as best you can with the realization that you've never gone through this there's no real experience to draw upon to say this is the way it's going to be and um, you know you you may have a week or ten day road trip this is clearly a lot more significant than that so I think we're gonna have to go through it I think the biggest thing is, is we've got a great group of guys we've had really good chemistry I think staying together, supporting each other, helping each other is going to be really, really critical. Uh, I think the NBA has worked really, really hard to try to create as as safe as possible of an environment. You know, in Orlando, um, obviously having Chris, who's the president of Players Association, and and how hard he has worked uh, with Adam Silver in the league and Michelle Roberts to to bring all this to full circle, where we're in a position where next. We'll be leaving to go to Orlando, but I'm not so sure anybody really knows what it's going to be like. And I think what we anticipate it will be like, you know, once we get through the whole entire season, uh, we may have a different opinion or feeling after it's over with rather than what we've had, you know, going into it and what it may look like. Thank you, Coach. Uh,
5: Next up, we'll go with Joe Massado has a question. Hey, Billy. Um, I just wanted to double check on, uh, the numbers. So all 17 players are back for workouts now. And, you know, is that, do you plan on all 17 of those going to Orlando? And as a follow-up to that, just what was the buy-in like of them wanting to go back and, and play in this environment?
3: Yeah. I mean, we've had, um, our guys have, um, have been great. You know, our guys came back, you know, even before that deadline, the 23rd, where everybody needed to report back. We had guys back in way before that, Uh, you know, guys were in working out. Um, They've been really, really great about wanting to play. I think all these players are very, very competitive and they love playing the game of basketball. And the opportunity to get back on the court is something I think is important to all of them. Certainly, first and foremost, everybody wants it to be a safe environment. I know the league's working hard to make sure that's the case. Uh, But we'll see what it it looks like in terms of the traveling party and all those kind of things, uh, you know, here coming into next week. But our guys have been very, very active in terms of utilizing the opportunity to come into the facility. You know, although they have not been able to play five on five or four on four, they've been very, very active individually coming in and lifting and working on their game one on one on oh. So, so every player is back as of now. Yes, they've all they've been back for quite some time. Yes, and uh, we they they've been working out and doing things, uh, obviously with the team and on their own. Thanks.
5: Uh, next up, we're going to go with Daniel Dwyer from Fox here in Oklahoma. Uh, hi, Billy. Uh, just curious kind of what
4: you've heard, um, to kind of echo the last question a little bit, but just what have you heard from some of the guys as far as maybe some of the concerns once they're inside of the bubble or have you had kind of discussions about, um, how that's going to be for them and and what their thoughts are
1: as far as the rules go when it comes to being inside the bubble and just what it's going to be like to live in that environment and play since this is kind of uncharted territory for everyone.
3: I I think everybody knows it's going to be restrictive. I don't think anybody's going in with the illusion that uh, it's not going to be anything but that because that's the safest way to get back to playing. So I think there's a clear understanding it's it's going to be restrictive. But like I said earlier, it's hard to say what that actually feels like because nobody's ever gone through this before. This is totally uncharted territories for everybody. Um, I think our guys are, are going to go into this situation, you know, certainly trying to follow all the guidelines and keep themselves safe and healthy as long as keeping other people safe and healthy. So um, they they're I think... Um, have probably asked a lot of questions on the Player Association calls. They've probably asked a lot of questions, you know, to, to Adam Silver and the NBA League office. And, you know, there's probably been a lot of back and forth and communication of what all those things are going to look like. But I think everybody understands to keep everybody safe, it's going to end up being pretty restrictive. If I could just do a quick follow-up for you heading into this to get your guys ready in such a short amount
4: of
5: time, what's your plan been like or focus during this time
3: well the hard part is you know you're really talking to players you know we've obviously once a week have a, a a call with our team and we talk to them obviously the last few calls have been a lot of logistics because so much stuff has come out of the league office of what it's going to look like going to Orlando but I've had obviously a lot of talks with our guys you know one-on-one um, now that we've got at least a little bit of an opportunity starting July 1st, that there'll be more guys able to be in the gym. Uh, we'll be able to have more conversations, but I don't know if we'll ever really be all together as a team to, uh, until we get to Orlando, you know, we can have these conversations, but in terms of the whole team being together, that's probably not going to pl- take place until we leave and, and fly to Disney.
5: Thanks coach. Uh, let's go with Barry Trammell has a question. Barry, you have a question? Yeah, Billy. Um, but besides just the restrictive nature of Orlando and the bubble and all the while, just talking basketball, how strange are the playoffs going to be? It's with no home court advantage, no travel. All of a sudden, it's just sort of a, an empty gym and two basketball teams playing. How, you're a veteran now. Of the NBA playoffs. How strange is that going to be, and is that going to give a team that maybe not be at the top level, like the Lakers or the Bucks or whoever, you know, maybe the most talented teams in the league, does that give some of you other teams a, a fighting chance to make this tournament, a playoff, you know, an upset type situation?
3: Yeah, I think it's a good question, Barry. I think a couple things. You know, one is you got to really look at, I have no idea as a coach what our team look like looks like when we get to Orlando. I know how we were playing in early March before the Utah game, but I don't know what that's going to look like once we get to Orlando. Now, these guys have worked out and they've tried to keep themselves in the best possible shape they can. But I don't really have a good idea. I think the biggest thing for me as a coach is making sure we're going into Orlando with the right frame of mind. And I think the right frame of mind for us is that we've got to stay together. We've had really good chemistry. We've got to work to build that back up. We've had really good chemistry on the court. We've got to work for a few weeks before we play our first game to get that back. And I think the biggest thing we're going to have to do is support each other because, Some of these measures that are going to be so restrictive are going to be different. You know, guys are going to be away from their families. They're going to be away from their kids. There's a lot going to be on these guys' shoulders, and I think the coaches' shoulders, too, with their family. Everybody is going to be dealing with these situations that no one has ever had to deal with before. So we need each other to help each other to get through some of that stuff. But as it relates to the playoffs and going into the playoffs in this season— you just don't know what teams are going to look like, so I think everybody coming in feels like it's a great opportunity in Orlando if you can come together as a team that you know really can have some significant success there. Thanks,
5: Billy. Thank you. Thanks, Coach. Thanks, Barry. Uh, Tim Reynolds with the AP. I know you, you have a question, Tim. I do. Thanks, Matt. Hey, Billy. Hey, Tim. I'm curious, as you guys figured out how to get to 35 or 37, whatever the travel party number is, to get there, did you have to sort of figure out how people can maybe take on jobs that they're not fully familiar with or that they don't typically do? Or you can have people kind of stepping outside their comfort zone once once that party gets to, once you guys get to Disney?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's that's something from a coaching standpoint that, you know, I've had to give a lot of thought to because, you know, I think we looked at it from a staff perspective that, you know, there are there are coaches that are. Working with players, there are coaches that not only are working with players that are doing scouting reports, uh, there's coaches that are have a voice in practice, there's coach that do a multitude of things that you have other coaches whose jobs are very, very streamlined and specific. So because we can't take all of our people to Orlando, and I'm you know, disappointed about that, but I also understand because I believe our staff, as any staff across the league, has worked extremely hard, and they all deserve, everybody deserves the opportunity to go there. But for the safety of the league and the players, we can't do that. So what we've got to do is understand, whether it's myself or assistant coaches, we may have to be setting up video equipment. We may have to have one of our coaches filming practice in Orlando, there's things that we're going to have to do that are going to be outside the box that have normally been taken care of. The other part for me is our staff, uh, you know, has been great all year long. How do I, as a coach, keep those guys engaged when we are in Orlando to be able to use their skill sets and their talents to help the team? So we've got to figure out ways that, okay, somebody's not in Orlando, but they can still be extremely useful and helpful to the group even if they're doing it from remote destination, so do we do Zoom calls? You know, in our, our in our staff meetings, we have guys p- with different projects that are maybe be back in OKC to look into different analytics or different measures or different things that can be valuable. Um, all those things I think become critical because we've got to figure out I think how do we incorporate and use everybody on our staff, although everybody can't travel. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we got a question from Bill Haston next. Go
5: ahead, Bill. Uh, good morning, Billy. Uh, uh, I was wanted to ask about, uh, you, know, you had uncommonly great chemistry uh, before this disruption uh, and great leadership from Chris Paul. What is the value of, of Chris Paul's presence in the organization during this disruption, during the hiatus? And, 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 you know, like, like you addressed with Barry's question, uh, do you think that this uh, these weird circumstances could be like an equalizer uh, in Orlando uh, and, and really benefit maybe a team like the Thunder who seems to have great leadership and great chemistry?
3: Well, Chris is, is an unbelievable guy. I mean, you think about what's been on his plate, the things that he's been uh, dealing with, you know, from – This pandemic to working with, you know, Adam Silver, the Players Association, to working to get us back to playing all the social injustice issues that are going on, um, trying to stay engaged with his teammates here, uh, working with all sorts of players around the league to communicate with them of maybe what their concerns are going back to playing. But I've never been around a guy who can handle all that. And still has not even remotely close to lost his passion for playing. He's all about basketball and he's all about competition. And in my conversations with Chris, uh, it's been amazing just how eager and excited he is to get back to play and wanting to play. And I think when you have a person like that in a leadership position, who's that competitive, who's had to handle so much, I think he'll be a great, great resource for the rest of our team, our coaches and everyone else around. Uh, our organization and he's been he's been phenomenal all the way around and you know to be able to work with him for this last year has been extremely rewarding and have such an utmost respect for him and all that he's had to deal with during these times. Thank you. Thanks.
5: Thank you coach. Eric Horn, I knew you had another one. Go ahead, Eric. Uh, yeah, Billy, Um, wanted to ask you do you think that there are any advantages to the format from what you've seen, um, you know, the eight games and 14 days and then going into the playoffs? I know you said that it's it's hard to say what it's going to look like when you get there. But do you see just the way your team's constructed, how you guys were playing, if there are any advantages to, to how this is being formatted by the league?
3: Yeah, I I mean, everybody's dealing with the schedule that's been handed to them. And like I said earlier, I think the biggest thing for me is is putting on our player's brain. We've got to work hard to get back to where we were. And I don't know what that looks like right now because it's going to be nearly four months since we've played. And we've obviously got a few weeks in Orlando to practice. So that's gotta be the goal for us is to work to get back our chemistry to get back to our timing to get back to our cohesiveness to get back to guys in specific roles and 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 playing well. Uh, all those things I think you're striving for you're fighting for, but we've got to do those things together, but I just don't have a great feel of where that's at. I do have total confidence and belief that this will there'll, there'll not be a group that will work harder to get those things back because in our talks and things we've talked about they understand that those things are critically important they've done a great job remaining close during this time even though there's been separation they've done a great job of talking about how to work to get back to chemistry on the court they've you know talked a lot about making sure they're in shape and taking care of themselves physically and doing the things necessary to give themselves an advantage physically where they're not necessarily maybe having to work to get back into shape, but they're somewhat in decent shape. So you know, how do we look when we bring all that together 5 on 5? That's going to be the challenge. I think everybody's dealing with the same thing. It's just not our team. It's every team working on the same thing.
5: Thank you, coach. We have time for one more. We're going to go with Nate Thompson, Nathan Thompson out of Tulsa. Hey, Coach, uh, with uh, Adam Silver just yesterday saying, you know, if cases spike, you guys might have to go on a halt again. I guess two questions. How confident are you that you will get a season in? And then even if you do, how worried are you about the playoffs turning into kind of the team that gets the least amount of positive COVID tests wins the whole thing?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one thing and I've been on a couple of with our with the head coaches, with Adam Silver there without question the league has put at the forefront everybody's safety and health and I think everybody feels pretty confident that if we get into a situation before we get there or while we get there that's really really unhealthy or safe that it may have to be stopped Uh, and everybody understands that. Um, I do think to your point um, if, if guys start testing positive teams can look Totally different. This is going to be, it's totally uncharted territory for everybody because any of those things that you just mentioned could potentially happen. You know, you could have some guys on a team that all of a sudden test positive and they got a quarantine and they're not playing. Teams could look totally different. Players could look totally different. So I think everybody's working as hard as they can to create the safest way in Orlando to play. But I think, as you mentioned, with all that's going on in the state of Florida with the virus, A lot of those things could end up really taking a a turn in a different direction. And I think the league will be prepared and everybody will be prepared if we have to cross that bridge when we get there.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.